0: Thank you. Beautiful song. That's our Lord. He comes as we need him to come. We're talking today, um, you know, it's Christmas, rejoicing, but we're talking today about some things that are, are not so full of rejoicing. But I'm glad that we just had a time of worship that is reminding us that even as we speak on challenging things, hard things, hurtful things, we're speaking to and with a God that we can rejoice in. So pray with me as we get started. God, thank you that we know who you are. The God who is before us, the God who is behind us, the God who surrounds us, the God who who challenges us to come to you in all that we are. In our rejoicing, in our hallelujahs, in our shouts of praise, and in our cries, in our laments, in our weakness, in our brokenness. Because as we just sang, you are good. You alone are good, and our circumstances don't define your goodness. You are just good. So as we jump into your word, a challenging word, let our hearts stand firm on the truth of you are God, a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. According to you know, Guinness do you guys ever used to get that book the Guinness World Book of Records used to show up in a book you know the book now everything's online but according to Guinness the best selling single of all times is White Christmas over 100,000 A hundred million, I mean, a hundred million singles of that song from 1942 written by Irving Berlin. It's a very simple song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it because all of the singing chops in my family went to my daughter, Mahalia. But I'm just going to read to you the very simple and in brief lyric. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright and may all your Christmases be white. So that's it, 100 million copies. And we can just say, OK, well, Merry Christmas. There we go. We're done. Everybody have a white Christmas, except for the fact that we live in a broken world, a very broken world. And, and there was another songwriter who I think wanted uh, us to remember that, too. His name was Bill Hayes. And a few years after Right Christmas was written, uh, which I, I believe Bill Hayes wrote his song in 1947, he wrote a song called Blue Christmas. Again, very simple words, and I'll read those to you as well. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll be so blue just thinking about you. Decorations of red on a green Christmas tree won't be the same, dear, if you're not here with me. And when those blue snowflakes start falling, that's when those blue memories start calling. You'll be doing all right with your Christmas of white, but I'll have a blue, blue, blue Christmas. I think Bill Hayes was throwing a little bit of, I think what my my younger kids would call shade at uh, Irving Berlin. Did I get that right, Micah? <laughs> throwing some shade by saying, you got your white Christmas, but I'm gonna have blue. Did I? Yeah, good, okay. I always have to check in. Uh, that song didn't sell quite as many, <laughs> even with Even with Elvis Presley giving his vocal chops to to the song, it only sold nine million. I I think it makes sense that we want to live in in the white Christmas feeling, in this idyllic dream of, of it's all good. May all your Christmases be white. May your days be merry and bright. But we get, we get the blue. Most of us run into blue. And blue can come from a variety of, of places. Um, for example, Pastor Eric's blue today is going to come from the Bears losing against the Vikings. It's blue. That would be shade. <laughs> shade. <laughs> OK. I think that's roasting. That's even more than shade. <laughs> but we can also feel blue because you know we we've, we're going to have to take down these beautiful decorations. That's a little makes us like oh it was so beautiful, so so wonderful, so filled with a sense of goodness and, and and joy. And then we take those down or we could be blue because like, you know, I I admit I overate. I don't even try to diet over Thanksgiving to Christmas. I, I of course, feel that that's part of my worship, that God gave us food, and so, you know, I don't want to go against worshiping the Lord, especially chocolate. Um, But we can also feel blue because we're just disappointed. Maybe Christmas didn't go the way you were hoping and thinking it would. Maybe. Family got together and wasn't exactly what you had hoped. Maybe family got together and there's someone missing at the table. Maybe you just felt alone, surrounded by people. There's lots of reasons that you could be feeling blue the dark days of winter physically we just we'd like to see the Sun you know the statistics tell us I think there was a there's a study called the Christmas effect on psychopathology and it was a years-long study that that tried to see does, does Christmas make a difference in how people are feeling Well, surprisingly, I think think there's a a thought out there that we see more suicides and deaths and things coming at Christmas, but the reality is, is we don't. There's a significant drop, and I think it's because people try to take hold of the Christmas offering of joy, and, and, uh, and they look forward to the potential of Christmas. But after Christmas, there's a 40% increase in reports of attempted and completed suicides and depression and self-harm. It's a hard time. We go from a high to a pretty significant low. So we thought as a church that we need to honor that reality. We need to speak into what many are feeling what many are experiencing what many are understanding and if and if it's not you it's likely somebody that you know so post christmas we want to ask the question today do we as christians as believers as people who know this god that is good do we get to be blue do we get to even have A blue Christmas. We just celebrated where we're singing songs of great joy, saying the words of the angel, you know, I have good news, great news, we have a savior. That is great news. And it makes all the difference when we are then talking about the challenges of our lives. So we start by listening to the angel that said, today is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angels, the multitude of of heavenly hosts, they came. I think some people think they sang joy to the world. But that's actually not what they sang. They actually, we don't know that they sang what they said, is glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to to those on whom his favor rests. But here is our reality. Sometimes even we Christians do not feel like we are counted among those on whom the favor of God rests. We feel too much of the brokenness of this world. Is it honoring to God when we are broken, when we are feeling our brokenness? Well, we're going to turn to this good book that tells us the answer to that. We're going to take a look at Jesus. Did Jesus have blue days, blue times? And if he did, what did he do with them? So turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 11, and what we're going to see is that, yes, we do get to have blue days. John chapter 11 is talking about uh, the time when Jesus and his friend Lazarus had a pretty powerful encounter. And Jesus And the family of Lazarus had a pretty powerful encounter. And Jesus and the friends of Lazarus had a pretty powerful encounter. Lazarus had died. And Jesus didn't go to him while he was sick. Jesus waited. And then he went to meet the family of Lazarus. So in John chapter 11, Jesus is coming into the city. And the sister of Lazarus, Mary, comes to him and she's crying out to him. This is how Jesus responded to her blue day. When Jesus saw her, his friend Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. And that Greek word there for wept, it's not just saying Jesus just had a couple tears coming down his face. It's saying that Jesus cried from his gut. He let himself weep to feel those tears, to feel that emotion, to feel that grief. Jesus knew in mere moments what he was going to do. Raise Lazarus from the dead. But when he saw the grief, he let himself join in with that grief. He let himself feel that grief. He let himself express that grief. And he wept. So Jesus is telling us we get to have blue days. Also in Mark chapter 14, the bluest of blue days for Jesus. He was going to the Garden of Gethsemane. He was going to talk to the Father, to plead with the Father about the next day's events, that night's events and the next day's events. He went to the garden. He took his disciples with him. And, you know, Jesus would often go off to talk with the Father. He would go off alone to talk with the Father. But in this, his bluest of blue times, he had his disciples come with him to the garden. And then he asked his Three best friends will say, Peter, James, and John, to come even further because he wanted them to keep watch with him. And here, the words of Jesus' expression, he says to them, and Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Wow. We don't want to think about how desperate that must have been. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is God. This is Jesus in his humanity, speaking a broken, broken heart. Again, Jesus knew the outcome. He knew that he was going to be on that cross and die and be resurrected. He knew resurrection was coming, but in this moment, in this garden experience, he went there. He went to the most broken of broken places and said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. So sadness and despair are a part of God's story. So if Jesus being fully God and fully human as a part of his story could weep and call out, I am grieved beyond what I think I can bear, I think God is telling us that we in our full humanity, our own only as human beings, we get to be there too. That there are times in our life where that's going to be where we are. Despair, brokenness, agony. So we don't need to judge ourselves if we're blue. There are a few things that we do need to do, though. The first is, take it to God. There's no greater place to go because when we are in darkness, we cannot come up with light in our humanity. But we can go to the God who is himself light and take our darkness there. If you want to see how to get through darkness, you find the light. I'm going to read one of the most challenging psalms Psalm 88, if you would turn with me there, if you have your Bibles. It's a a challenging psalm. It's a powerful psalm. It's a psalm of lament. You know, Psalms is one of the the biggest books in the Bible, certainly by number of chapters, 150. Almost 50% of the psalms are about lament. You know, the Psalms are known as the songbook of the Bible, as the worship book of the Bible. And God is saying that worship is lament. So he gives us something as powerful as Psalm 88. Oh, Lord, the God who saves me, Day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help. O oh Lord, in the morning my prayers come before you. Why, O oh Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. So wow. Wow. Heavy. Absolutely heavy. And yet, God has declared this to be worship. Worship. He's telling us it's worship. Why? Because this psalmist is taking his despair to who? God, the God of my salvation. And the first thing this psalmist says is, O Lord, you are the God of my salvation. So he's calling out God to be who he says he is, to be who he promises to be. And he's letting God know in this moment, in this despair, I don't feel who you are, but I'm going to speak out and call out what I know. I know you are Lord. I know you are the God of my salvation. So here God, of enoughness is where I am here is who I am and I am bringing this brokenness to you and God has declared that that is worship we get to bring our brokenness to the God of our salvation Psalm after psalm tells this story. I read all of the psalms in preparation for this opportunity to share. I loved being able to share in the lament psalms to say, God, I'm, I'm speaking what I know, not what I feel in the moment. But I'm gonna speak what I know. You are the God of my salvation. The timing of this couldn't have been better because I've I'm having a blue Christmas. Um, A couple of challenging things, very challenging things, have come my way. And, you know, was it a part of my learning? an experience to be prepared for this opportunity to share the Lord is good a week ago uh, Saturday um, I had to we had to put our our dog down our 13 year old dog um, because she had cancer and that was a deep sadness for us my mother and father-in-law came from Alaska to share Christmas with us and that is a joy except that my father-in-law has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So beginning to see some of the ravages of Alzheimer's begin to present themselves in the heart and life of my beloved father-in-law. It's heartbreaking. And then some of you know, my day job is that I work as a chaplain for uh, Pikes Peak Hospice. And once a month, I have a 63-hour on-call shift. That was last weekend for me. I took a break during my shift to put my dog down. And then I got called to several very challenging uh, death experiences one was a 47-year-old woman who understandably was really struggling to let go she she didn't want to leave her two teenage daughters and she was her pain was taken care of we call that palliated her pain was palliated and we had enough medicine on board for that but emotionally maybe even spiritually she was struggling and and each breath was, was a challenge, a, a cry. And it was, became too hard for her mom and her dad and her husband and her two kids to be present with that experience. And so they asked me to stay with her. So for hours and hours, I was like the psalmist, crying out to God, this doesn't feel right This doesn't look right. This doesn't seem right. I don't see the right in this, God. Take her home. Let this be done. Let this be over. I was like the psalmist on behalf of this woman saying, I am in the depths. Show me that you are the God of my salvation. And I prayed and I cried and I read the scripture Lord, I know who you are, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see you. I know your goodness is here. This is not good, but you are, so I am gonna desperately hold on to you on behalf of this woman. And then suddenly, her crying out stopped and she started to breathe without agony and I said oh yes lord thank you it's time and I was able to rush out to the waiting room to get the family of this woman to have them come back in see her breathing in peace to be able to then be with her while they watched her breathe into eternity and her mom said to me My humanity would have been gone if you hadn't been able to sit there with her. God is good. And then two hours after I was with this woman, I got a call from a very dear friend who said, my husband, who had been in the hospital because of a heart condition, he's coding, can you please come? So I rushed off to the hospital and I got there just in time to help my friend and her husband, who was also my very dear friend, um, help their family surround him and be with him. When he and his 44-year-old heart stopped and he went into eternity. Again, I was like the psalmist. I had been crying out, don't do this, Lord. Minutes, hours before, I'm crying out, do this, Lord. And then here I am crying out, don't do this, Lord. And his goodness was there to see his five children and his parents and his wife surround him and shout out what a good man he had been, how loving he had been, How powerful he had been to them. Oh, it was amazing. It was a a rich and deep blessing. So I could say, like the psalmist, this is broken, but you are Lord and the God of our salvation. You are good. Only God can do that. Only God can let us be in the midst of our most trying and terrible moments, and we can connect with him as good. So when we are struggling, after I had these challenging experiences, I went home and I said to my family, I'm, I'm having a blue Christmas What did my family do? They came alongside me because we are not only to take our blue days to God, but we are to share them with one another. My family didn't judge me and say, you know, we're here rejoicing. We don't want to hear that. They came alongside me. There's a scripture in Luke 22, that's very powerful. It's the message that God is sharing with us that says we are not to go through our trials alone. In Luke 22, Jesus was in the garden and he wanted desperately for his friends to be there to witness his sorrow and they couldn't be. So what did the father do? He sent a ministering angel. An angel from heaven appeared to him, Jesus, and strengthened him. God's message is clear. We are not to walk the hard things alone. If Jesus Christ himself needed strengthening and support in his dark time, we need it, folks. God sent a ministering angel to strengthen him. Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love one another as I have loved you. I had one of the most powerful experiences of bear one another's burdens, and a ministering angel 23 years ago tomorrow. My incredibly sweet and precious and beloved mother-in-law is here today. (coughs) So as last weekend when I was sitting with a woman whose breath was crying out and moaning, And I'm crying out, Lord, take her. Because her family can't sit with her. Well, 23 years ago, my mother-in-law and I were sitting at the bedside of my own mom, who was crying out with each breath and moaning. And I couldn't be there. But my mother-in-law could. So she bore the burden for me, so that then when I could come back in the room, I was strengthened and encouraged so I could be there with my mom, so that I could be there to witness the goodness of God. And I will tell you, his goodness was never more clear to me than in that moment when he took my mom to heaven. I was crying and I was rejoicing. My mother-in-law said she thought she was at a praise service because all I could do was weep from the deepest place of my heart and lift my arms up and say, hallelujah, God, you are so good. Only God can take us there. The place of my, most, my deepest sorrow was also the place of my greatest rejoicing. That's who our God is. When we share with one another, when we bear the burdens with one another, Amazing, wonderful, powerful, healing things can happen. My mother-in-law is a part of incredible healing in my life. And 23 years ago tomorrow, I will get to celebrate again the goodness of God. Despairing, weeping, sadness, but rejoicing because as the psalmist of Psalm 88, one of the most challenging psalms in the book, starts out, I am praying to you, Lord, the God of my salvation. So I'm including, we, I included here in your bulletin the number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Because there are times when sharing with another, it can't be your family, it can't be a friend, it it needs to be at another level, a counselor or even a suicide prevention hotline counselor. Whether that's something you need for yourself or you know someone who needs it. Powerful uh, opportunity when you take your brokenness to someone else and watch God do the work to come alongside you via support of someone else. By the way, that number, you can call it even if if you're not yourself in need of it, but you know someone who is. You can call that number, and they can help you understand some of the steps you can take in support of of your person that is in need. It's such an important thing that even our nationally, we're about to, the FCC is about to make available um, a more direct connection, it's gonna be 988. Like a 911 is the emergency number, 988 is what they're going to change uh, the, the prevention hotline number to so that people don't have to remember 1-800. So nationally, we know this is something we need to take on. We as a church should also be at the forefront of support in that. So folks, I, I didn't share this to step you move you away from your white Christmas experience. I hope what you heard is that if you are a person who is having a white Christmas, that you get to come alongside someone who is not, that you get to experience the gift of supporting someone and loving someone else as Christ loved you. But if you are here and you are a person who's having a blue Christmas, remember that God has told us, I expect that in this broken world. I expect that you will have blue deeply blue, midnight blue days. And when you do, share that with someone. Call the church office, talk to a counselor, talk to a family member, talk to a friend, talk to someone. Most importantly, talk to God. Share it with The God who says, when you are here, in this darkness, in this brokenness, in this despair, I am the one who can handle it and hold it. I will hold it for you sometimes, and I will hold it with you sometimes. But I alone am enough to hold it. Shout it out to God. Pray it out to God. Write it out to God. And if you cannot find the words, then just cry. And let your tears be liquid prayers that go and take you into his presence. And just say, God, just consider this the unwritten 151st Psalm. Because here I am, God of my salvation. Well, I wish you a Merry Christmas. (laughs) May all your days be merry and bright. And may all your Christmases be white except for when they need to be blue. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the testimony of your goodness, testimony of your light, the testimony of your enoughness. We we praise you and we bless you because, God, you want all of us, our rejoicing and our despair, our praise and our pleading. You want it all because you want that worship. So help us, God, to worship you in these days whether we are thanking you for being the God of our salvation or we are pleading with you to show us that you are the God of our salvation, we worship you, a good God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Tracy significant and meaningful. I hope we heard uh, deeply that uh, the idea that um, sorrow in the Christian faith, when we worship in the midst of brokenness and sadness, it is not a denial of that sadness. It's a worshiping and an acknowledgement that God is good. In the midst of that sadness, yes. thought we would uh, sing the doxology uh, to close. Almost all of us are familiar with that. We're going to do just a little bit different of a doxology, so I'd encourage you to sing with us when you feel...